Welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today we're in San Francisco, on the West Coast, the best coast. We're sitting in Electrolyte's beautiful lounge area, where I have to mention, there's a backlit table glowing with color and dynamic scenes, and you've gotta come check it out. The reason we're in San Francisco today is to talk to the director of the San Francisco office for Electrolyte, Claudia Ramos. He started this branch of Electrolyte in 2016, but has over 30 years of experience in the architectural lighting industry. Electrolyte has offices in Sydney and Melbourne, along with a partnership with 18 Degrees in London. It's safe to say they've done work all over the world. And today we're here to catch up with Claudio just a little bit more about what his passion has taught him about creating synergies, creating lighting details, and reading people's emotion intelligence all along the way to make sure that that collaboration really comes to fruition. Claudio, welcome to the podcast. It's good to see you. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here in San Francisco on a beautiful summer afternoon. The fog's burnt off. I think you call that Carl. Well, the, the rest of the country's burning, and we are pretty cool here. I know. It's it's beautiful. San Francisco is such a, an amazing city. There's so much happening here. The city has been through so much over the last three years uh, as we've gone through a pandemic and kind of are resurging. And there's going to be an amazing event tomorrow called Light, which is a huge expo, and there's a bunch of people that are coming back together. But today, we're here to dive in a little bit more to your journey, what you've learned, and to share with people you know, what it means to not only be passionate, but be good at what you do, and that really comes down to working with people. Before we dive into that, do me a favor. Tell everybody, who's Claudio, and how'd you get your start in lighting? All right, so yep, I, you know, young kid, I went to architecture school in Rio, where I was born. Rio de Janeiro. And after finishing school, I ended up moving up to Sao Paulo six months after I, I finished uh, college to start working as a lighting designer. It was my first job, you know, and it was like a manufacturing company. I know that's the way working out of the US. And they did have a uh, lighting design department. I you know, had the opportunity to get out of home and do something else in another state. And um, I just didn't know how much I love lighting at the time. It was very interesting because I think I always say that I didn't choose, I think I was chosen. And I didn't realize at the time that how much love for lighting I already had. So I came down to Sao Paulo to do my job interview, like six months, graduated, 22 year old. And I just had my you know, work from college. I, every single drawing, every single project I had, had a lighting design as part of it. And I never thought about that. So just like I was doing naturally, I was, you know, have a design, I put light on it without realizing. And, you know, in college, we do not learn. At the, not at the time, you know, talking about 1989. We didn't learn line design in college. Now you have some, you know, paying more attention to lighting and you have like, you know, degrees, master degrees and a lot of stuff. But at the time it wasn't that, that way. And I was I was selected to for to work this company. Never never went back to architecture. Lighting is my world. You never went back to architecture. It's interesting you say lighting found you. I think that's a first. I've never heard anybody give me that answer before. And I think it has a lot to do with what we're here to talk about today as well. When lighting finds you, when it attracts you, I've got to imagine it's almost second nature to you, right? It's just something you're passionate about. It's something that, as you said, you weren't even aware of necessarily the fact you were doing lighting design. It was just something you paid attention to in architecture school. When you look at lighting and you look at architecture, both are essentially in a design process. Design can be looked at as an industry in the built environment, but design is everywhere. 
design is in cars, design is in bridges, design is in technology. Talk to me a little bit about design and why that was what you originally gravitated to and what you think is special about design in general. Design is the act of thinking of something that still doesn't exist and turning to something that is Popable. So then we started, you know, we having ideas and you manage to put ideas in paper. And from the paper, you have to execute it or someone else is going to execute for you in this case. That, that's how see design. It's a creative process. And that's what I love about it. You know, I, I think I was like a creative person since the beginning, since I was a kid. It's interesting. It's the creative process of taking that idea and putting it on paper. And you giggled and laughed, you know, it's somebody else's job to actually execute it. What a unique situation, right? To have an idea to put it down, but then step away from it. And, and Oh, we don't step away. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right. You don't step away, but so many other people have to get involved. They, yes. And they can't read your mind. So a big part of design is being able to convey that information. Convey it in a way that people who maybe have different skill sets but are interested in a portion of your idea can execute on it. And in this instance, it's all the contractors. It's people who are estimating the job. It's people who are trying to maybe finish out the details. The design is a teamwork. There's no design without teamwork. So there's a series of people that get to be involved. You know, if you compare with just a pure artist or someone who does do art, this person can, you know, start from the beginning, have the creation and execute themselves. That's not what we designers do. We need to have a collaboration. And our design is an element into the architectural world. Like we create something that's part of something else. When you mentioned the fact that you're creating something that's part of something else, you have an innate ability to understand architecture from your original passion and integrate light into it, creating lighting details, lighting details that are seamless. Talk to me a little bit about what it's like to be able to approach architecture and create a lighting detail that integrates directly into it. Lighting and details is something that it's inherent to my my design process. It's something that I, I'm deeply in love with. I love doing something that's fully integrated. Maybe because I have this, this architectural background and it's not embellishing something, it's just integrating to something else. You know, working on a ceiling, I, I usually, when I'm working with the design team, we bring things to the plate. We bring things that, you know, can contribute. And um, I have this obsession for lighting to exist without the product to be perceived or seen. Like the whole thing is like, I always like make jokes about, you know, you know, designing lighting is like a Disneyland ride. If you see what's in the background, the magic is over. So you cannot see the product, you can create this and, and, and miniaturizing everything in the process. You know, working lighting for 33 years and you know, we had to design the past with things that are like products that are big. And even though we start creating our details back then. So I think I'm loving also the, the way lighting is progressing and the way things are getting smaller, smaller, and smaller. So hopefully one day you will not even see that the lighting, anything exists in the ceiling, you just see the lighting happening in the space. I have this obsession for miniaturization. An obsession for miniaturization. I think there's a few people that would gobble that up and jump all over it. <laughs> there, There's a small LED revolution that's still going on in terms of making everything smaller and smaller and smaller and squeeze as much light out of it as possible, but being totally glare-free. Well, that's not necessarily always practical, no. which is where lighting details come in, 
right? Being able to not only put light in a space, but put it in a space in an effective manner such that it does integrate into the architecture. A big part of doing that requires design minds to come together. Talk to me about what it's like to sit down across the table from someone who has one design concept and take your design concepts and bring them together. We interact a lot with the architects we we work with. And uh, sometimes, you know, the architects come to us with something they have like a preconceived and you need to make sure that we create a detail that would do exactly what, what they have in mind. But a lot of times we also come with something that, you know, it hasn't been discussed yet. I bring to the plate. I bring to the plate during the early phases of the project, doing the schematic design, doing the conceptual design. I what about this? Uh, what if you have this ceiling this way? Or you know, I just worked in this project recently that there was like you know a like a slot in the ceiling that was like a little too wide for my taste. And uh, I discussed with them, you know, you know that you can do this with one inch. It doesn't need to be four inches. You no, know, and you can make this, and, and it'd be amazing if you can do that. Too. There was, it's a back and forth discussion. You said you bring an idea to the table that maybe necessarily they don't have. When you are speaking their language, you're not necessarily even talking about light. You're just talking about your design taste. With lighting kind of in the back of your mind, what do you feel is unique about the ability to be a lighting designer but understand that notion of the architecture and what it is they want or what they want to see or what that outcome is like. First, I think I, think I have to say that uh, that is a, a one main element of the lighting design profession is to understand other people's design, is to read other people's design. So when you start something that it doesn't exist just in paper or some renderings, you need to be able to understand exactly what is in there. And so then you can create over it. You can overlap your concepts over a concept that's already there. It's harder when people cannot understand what the design, what, what the architect is thinking of or is trying to express. So if you don't understand what's in the paper, you cannot progress in any way. Understanding that is certainly one component of it. Once you have an ability to understand what they want to do and progress that, there's a form of assembly that takes place. There's the essence of coordination. You mentioned right when we started that you know the design process is all about teamwork. At what point do you have to put your pen and pencil down and just look at the other person across the table and start to really get inside of their mind and understand the things they haven't said, but you know are intentional behind what they're saying? I always have like a piece of paper in front of me and I'm always sketching with, you know, going through a pandemic and doing most of a job through a like a zoom call i always want to make sure that whatever software whatever you know a uh, vehicle you're using for the meeting i should be able to sketch on the screen as well or if i'm not sketching on the screen i have like a piece of paper in my hand and i like, keep showing things it's like i was like the ideas are coming what if you do this way what if you do that way that's the first part of a collaboration is between the line designer and the architect or line designer and the interior designer so then and after that when you figure out what, what that's what you know that's that's the design intent and the architect agree with that and i agree with the idea so we need to document that very very well because if you don't document it well the contractor won't be able to build that's where the teamwork is crucial and it's funny that the teamwork is not on the uh, the design part of it is that the sketching part of it but also the, the i think the human coordination between you need to speak a language that everyone is going to be in sync and also, I think there's some level of like emotional intelligence to deal with people and make sure that people understand or react to what you're trying to say. You talk about being in sync. It's that fundamental thing that you have to have to progress forward. Being in sync with people means having that same vocabulary, right? But it also means 
you need to have an ability to know when to speak versus listen. Oh, yes. Listening and speaking are both very important. <laughs> like, we need to hear a lot. Sometimes, like, I'm very quiet in meetings, which I'm not a quiet person at all. I'm very quiet in meetings because my, my brain's processing and just, like, uh, observing and analyzing everything that I've been told. Because that's when, you know, I need to get that first. So then I can put it out. And when you put it out, there's a lot behind that. You're not just saying, hey, this is my idea. You're really trying to relate it back to the person on the other side uh, of the table. I always claim I don't design the lighting for to be my lighting. I design my lighting to enhance someone else's architecture. And really, that architecture is a simple reflection of the inspiration behind the programming for the project, the needs of the space for the occupants. 100%. Which, if you think about it for a second, is going to result in really good lighting in a really good space because everything points back to that mission, the why, the purpose behind that building, the space, the intent and all everything so. behind it. It's just to make people happy at the end. The client's happy, the user's happy, the architect's happy and I get my work. <laughs> Making people happy is, um, what is it, the secret to success in life? I don't know. I just made that up on the spot. But <laughs> I, I feel like when you have an ability to be happy, when you have an ability to bring people along on a journey with you, when you have an ability to create positive energy around a moment, a space, a time, a project, a building that's gonna last for 50, 60, 70 years. Having that at the forefront of your mind is something that's super important. And that requires emotional intelligence. That requires an ability to not only understand people's intent and their design, but who they are, why they, why they think the way they think. Well, there's a lot of psychology in, in lighting, or there's a lot of psychology in creating a, a built environment for the human being. Um, it, it's the, it has to be human-centric. That's, that's the, I think that's the main word for that. We're talking about make, bringing happiness, but actually with, you know, the, the technical term will be like ambient comfort, bringing comfort to people. Make sure the people feel like, uh, it feels like appropriate to where they are. You know, and that's that sometimes there's no right or wrong in lighting because it depends if you're doing an office space, you're doing like a, like a stadium or you're doing, you have a different approach for that because you have different requirements for anything. So then you, you need to be appropriate. And with that, you bring comfort. And if you bring comfort and you do a good design and you have like something that's uh, visually appealing to whoever's gonna use or whoever's gonna pay for it, it's very re rewarding. And that's when you like, you, you when you hear something from a client, like, I love this. You know, it's, 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 it's priceless. It's rewarding. And, it's rewarding. And I think a lot of success in design can be measured by the reward that a designer gets from the satisfaction. And I get new projects all the time. I, I work with new clients all the time, but the majority of our work is, it's a, a series of working one project after the other with the same team. Like working finish one project, the client's happy, it's gonna hire you again. And this is the majority of our work. I wanna take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll dive in a little bit more to that unique ability to understand the other side of the table, the emotion intelligence that it requires on both parts of a design team to really dive into that integrated design approach to getting those details right and to making a building and a space as beautiful as it can be. Sound good? All right. Hey, it's Sam. The Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. They make things like documentaries, short, informative, educational two-minute videos, and of course, bring you this podcast, The Light Pod. Check them out at lytei.com.
and welcome back over the break cloudy and i were catching up just a little bit more about what happens in the process of design over 33 years of experience you've seen so many things happen you've seen documentation come together you've seen documentation sometimes contradict each other but for the most part you said you know you create a detail and then you zoom in and give more detail on the detail and then you zoom in and you give even more detail on the detail to make sure that all of that detail is there it's so that everybody along the way everybody that's a part of the journey of the design intent understands what to do throughout their part of the process whether they're making that luminaire whether they're installing that luminaire whether they're aiming that luminaire whether they're just simply operating that luminaire this requires an ability to not only document stuff but also to work with people yeah. so at the end of the day it is the architect's job to create the final construction detail but he cannot they cannot create anything if we don't provide them with the proper information. So sometimes I don't know the thickness of the walls around or the kind of materials going to be used, the thickness of the material. But, you know, I need to tell them what is the mounting intent and what are the dimensional requirements for that detail to be successful. And very important things too that I, you know, should mention is like finishes. There are things in lighting that, you know, we have to be very cautious to like lighting hates shiny materials. So that's very important to point it out. Like this ceiling has to be matte finish or eggshell the most. Like, because, you know, if you if you have something shiny, it's gonna reflect like a mirror. If it's too dark, it won't work. So then we have all this like arrow things to tell them, this is gonna be, it should be white, matte white, this and that, you know, so then the, the lines not swallow inside that, that detail you created. Of course, you know, in the process sometimes happens that materials are changed. Value engineering is, you know, destroy a lot of, you know, concepts. I would say that value engineering for me is the most expensive way to save money. I don't think saves. Usually like everyone has to regroup again to redesign, but it happens all the time. But it's very important that you make the point across. And when you have like a lighting plan, for example, if you're talking about recessed lighting or pendants or surface mounted fixtures and this and that, it's one thing. When you have like architectural details, when you have linear lighting, you have a line in the drawing. And if you don't tell people where the line is located. Is that a toe kick? Is it like under cabinet? Is above the cabinet? Is the ceiling? Like when you look in plan view, you don't understand that. And you need to be sure, well, nowadays working with Revit, you know, a lot of details are created in the 3D space, as an environment, but we still need to provide some, you know, cross sections, show the big picture, show the human being layer, like a little sketch of the human being to show like, you know, the, the, the scale of detail. And then you zoom in it to show that detail and zoom it again to show like, you know, what the dimensions, I need five inches here, I need three inches there. This is all very important. It can just be an outline, but that's the mounting intent. That's the concept you're trying to convey to make people understand. And then the architect is gonna be like absorbing your detail and transforming you in, transforming that in a construction document. So then contractors can build it. And, and again, like after that, in the process of this, you need to review the drawing again. You need to get the drawings from the architects to make sure that they understood you correctly. There's a lot of like human relationship in the process. You know, like you go, it's back and forth. It's a conversation. You will get your point. Sometimes it happens like halfway through, you cannot build that way. And you need to be creative to modify without destroying your original intent. It's critical to be able to communicate that. It's critical to have that back and forth. But when you're dealing with the design, we outlined right when we started, you know, it's the notion or concept of taking an idea and putting it down on paper. So it's unique to you. There's a way you see it, but it may not always be the way it comes out, right? There's not always an opportunity based on the conditions, based on the parameters, based on maybe a screw up that 
we have to live with or something like that. You have to be able to work through these things. And that's where the design stops and that interaction, that collaboration, that human-to-human relationship really kicks in. But you have to be sensitive. You have to understand what the reason is behind the intent and be able to work through that with people. In your experience, what has it been like to manage those situations? And what's been one of the most important things that's attributed to your ability to be successful? I think that if every single project were built straight from the schematic design, everything would be gorgeous and successful. I think it takes a lot of effort, energy, intelligence to follow through all the phases of a project and ensure that at the end, the intent is going to be correct. It's going to be successful. Things change in the process. Materials change. You know, you need to keep an eye on. And when you have that, that's the point again, going back again to the human relationship. When you do have a good connection with the architect, when you do have a good connection with the contractor that's gonna build that thing, you can always bring things back to the conversation. There is a moment where that detail is no longer gonna work. And the smartest thing to do is just to remove it. Because if it's not gonna look good, looking good, like it's just like remove it. It's like, you know, serving a f- like food someone, like you're a chef, and you did something that, you know, the food doesn't work, don't put it in the plate. Don't serve it. It's like that's it's very important to know when you stop yourself. Sometimes you feel a little hurt that I, I love that detail, that there will be like it would be so important for the project, but you know, materials change so much. Or people the, the design went in a di- direction that you need to stop yourself, regroup, review what you're doing, and see if that design should make sense as a whole. When you work with your client, when you work with an architect, when you work with a, a fellow designer, it's about getting past the moment where the design intent is just there. It's about really making sure that two ideas do come together. How have you come to learn how to deal with people in those situations? Making mistakes. <laughs> it is. You know, you learn a lot from mistakes. You know, you do like you do something that didn't go well. Oh, two things. One is making mistakes, another one's making mock-ups. Oh, and that we deal with new products all the time and with this evolution of lighting. We love building mock-ups, you know, putting stuff together, getting like a cardboards and creating details, you know. You're gonna see like my office have like details everywhere that we create to a project that, you know, it's very important because you understand how the lighting performs and you get samples from the architects. What's the color, the finish, the texture that's involved in that? So we need to know this. We need to, get, we need to know how to ask the right questions as well. And, and then you go back to the office and you can build their own thing and you know how the lighting is gonna behave. Because depending on the product, different product, different strip lights, different outputs, different colors, different color temperatures, it performs differently. You know, I love doing that. I, I really push my team to like exercise that. So we won't see things on calculation softwares only. You need to put, you know, the hands up to work. So then you can create that detail and make sure that, okay, I see how it works. I see how it performs. How does emotional intelligence play into this? Oh, how you do with people in general. Like our life is like, a, you know, working in the design team, we work in human beings. We always like have to know how to speak to people. You know how to speak to the contractor. No, nobody's going to listen to you if you're screaming. Well, nobody wants to listen to you if you're screaming. You need to know how to deal with people. You're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with people with emotions and people that's creative and people who's sensitive and, you know, a lot of egos in the process. And all that, you know, you need to know, like, sometimes when you put something there, when you want to create a detail, you need to make sure that you're not going to step in someone else's toes. 
uh, there are ways to, you know, you don't push, you can push anything. You have to offer something and see the reaction. And a design team at the very beginning, we throw ideas all the time and people sometimes react badly or people don't understand exactly what we're trying to convey. Uh, that's why I sketch so much to make sure that my, my, I make my point across. And I tell my team, like, if you bring something that's as much creative as it sounds, you know, we love that idea, but if someone else, if don't pass from that line, if people don't accept that idea, bring something else. And that's our life as a designer, creating things, creating new things. You mentioned acceptance. That's a big part of it. It is. Are there ever moments in time where you really want people to accept your idea, but they're just not doing it? Uh, it happened. Well, that's just sad. Like, you know, uh, just back off, bring something else. And of course, you know, that, you know, I mentioned at the beginning that we, you know, we, work with teams one after the other at at some point in time people start knowing you and people know what to expect from you as a designer but you know sometimes you work someone new that had no idea who you are and has no idea that your like ideas is going to be successful and there's a trust involved it's a lot of work to get someone else's trust you know when things are not done and i'm the one like you know for my design to be unique i do things i've never done before in my life you know, I'm the one who like I stand on the edge of the cliff with the you know the, with the rope in the neck, just to be in front of everyone, to be unique, to be creative, you know, to do something. Sometimes I feel bad that I repeat myself. Not repeating yourself—that's something interesting. I think you always learn from your mistakes, as you said earlier. Mm -hmm. It's hard not to have a style. It's hard not to create something that you like so much that you want to do it again. But being able to be unique is important. Being able to repetitively work with a team and let them get to know you is a big part of creating some of that freedom but then understanding how to talk to people like you said the contractor they may not ever understand why you've created the detail you've created but you need them to execute on something specific when somebody doesn't necessarily understand the final outcome but they're a critical part of the process how do you work with them to make sure that they achieve it even though you know they don't care to understand every part of it and a bad situation's happen and sometimes it's just not a good team and as I said build this trust with people and so at some point that people have worked before and it was successful at all there was no way you would ever be and I was just like maybe okay that's the last time I work with this group or let's work with this team and of course in the process not only the, the design team but the contractors we know working in a small environment that San Francisco is the contractors you understand your language and some contracts want and you just need to make sure that you provide documentation properly and make sure that it's built as designed. A big part of what you've shared with us today is don't be afraid to bring a new idea or, or mm -hmm. try again. Don't be afraid to cancel it if it's just not working. Don't be afraid to, to back off if it feels like you're forcing it. These are all things that I think when you sit here and talk about them, they're pretty easy to nod your head and say yes. But in the moment when there's passion, when there's authority, when there's a requirement on the line for you to produce, there can be a little bit more fuel in the fire. How do you find an ability to to keep that even killed um, mentality in the back of your head as you move through an entire design process? Uh, you can't hold the grudges on that. You just can't. You just move on and, you know, again, uh, we're trying to make the clients happy, but you need to make ourselves happy too. And of course, sometimes you get frustrated if the project is not that what you expected. You know, of course, you know, you know, working at the moment with 47 different projects, I don't expect you, all my projects to be like phenomenal. Otherwise, I'll be, you know, <laughs> I'll be rich. <laughs> and it, you focus on things that you know you're going to make very, very good job and you 
put a lot of energy there and some of them is just like you know this is going to be just something to survive in the business and uh you just admit that not everything that you do is going to be phenomenal it's a little bit of the 80 20 rule right putting 80 percent of your energy into 20 percent of the project mm-hmm. you got to find those moments that you really care about and dive in and make them special mm-hmm. and work through it and collaborate with the and team unfortunately i wish you could do like you know put 100 percent in every single thing you do tough to do it's tough to do when you look at your career what do you feel like is one of the most positive outcomes that you've ever had through the collaborative design process to work through these things with people. Tell me a little bit about how you felt when that was done and what everybody else around you felt as well. There's there are so many layers on the, the design work that's not only you know having the great idea, expressing your ideas well, documenting uh, your ideas properly so that it can be built providing a good customer service, dealing people with a professional manner, uh, being respectful. Uh, There's so many layers. And then, you know, like make sure that whatever your amazing idea you're bringing to the plate is feasible financially to the client. Because now sometimes you just bring, oh, this is gorgeous. How much it costs? Like millions. Like, are you crazy? You know, we need to to balance everything. We need to know how to balance everything. And then um, at the end, you have, you know, a like satisfied customer that, you know, liked your design, like your approach, like the way you conduct the business or conduct the project through the, all the phases, like the final result, like you know how much money they spend. Like there's so many layers, and then when you can achieve all this together, you know, and it's, it's very rewarding, you know, and then or it can be sometimes very awarding, you know, if you have like a phenomenal project that you can put in awards and being published and something. It's it's amazing when you can reach that. We don't do that for. You know, I think you can reach like you know award level in projects. You know, I think maybe five percent. <laughs> I, I, maybe this is a good number. Maybe 5% is five, great. 5% of all your projects uh, actually... Award-worthy. Are not award-worthy. that award, but award-worthy. Yeah. yeah. I think it could be a good thing. I just, I'm making up this number. I don't know. <laughs> I, never, I never thought about that way. No, I think it's super interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. to say you spend an entire career working on this and only 5% of them are going to be award-worthy means something, right? I mean, there's so much challenge and compromise along the way. And it really kind of sort of takes a magical moment or in a truly perfect situation, a team, an owner, timing, build team, and all these other things to bring it together. Is there an award-winning project of yours that you feel like stands out that embodies everything that we've talked about today? Luckily, I have many. (laughs) (laughs) There's some like, you know, more award-winning than the others that really stand out in the process. We should work, you know, but that's the thing. I think the two different things you need to compare. Um, If the client's super happy at the end, and if the project is award winner. I I don't know, like, of course, you, you want both. Yeah, you know, in both. But I think it's if I have to choose, I want my client to be happy. I don't want to be miserable, and I want to have a continual work with them or with him or with her. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's it's so important. It's like like one goes behind the other, likely. <laughs> when you look at your practice today here at Electrolyte, you're here in San Francisco. You have a partnership with offices in Sydney and Melbourne, and uh, also a relationship with the company 18 Degrees in London. There's so many ways to design so many things to do what is the thing that you feel like you're most proud of that exemplifies that ability to work through with a collaborative design team not only here but across all your offices and globally with all your work well first i need to say that i'm very proud of being part of this team or because again well i was chosen you know i developed this, this the relationship with you know paul and paul bill from 18 degrees who's the founder of electrolyte in australia I was invited to be part of this project and it was very interesting, unique 
design, very uh, challenging, working with like a glowing ceiling, different colors, and you know, the whole detailing was like to perfection. Everything has, was really hard, it was really, it was really uh, challenging to make sure that everything would be perfect. And the project, uh, which is like a sh little shoe store in San Francisco, received a award of merit with the ILD. And uh, I was very proud about that already. And I traveled to Philadelphia doing life fair to receive my award. Uh, I was in the hotel, like getting ready for my presentation, for, my, for, my award, for the award ceremony. And I got a call from the architect saying that we have six more stores for you to do. So then I got, I think I had seven awards at once. <laughs> you know, it's uh, it's so rewarding when the client, like he does so much and he was so happy with everything that he did at first. Then you're gonna, you know, expanding your design through the entire country. And the same store that we design here in San Francisco. Now we have a store in Boston. We have two stores in New York. We have two in Los Angeles and one in DC. I think I'm, I don't know if I'm missing something. There's another one in Chicago. Uh, you know, it's it's very rewarding when you have that client happy, client happy in award-winning project. What store was it? Uh, Rothy's, and I don't know if you know about Rothy's. It's a, a it's a uh, it, it was very famous to be online first, and then they create uh, like physical stores for people to buy there, and they do all the shoes. Uh, the threads of the shoes are made of plastic bottles, like they are removed from the ocean or they are not allowed to go to the ocean. So that that story is like a, the story is already like very. Very interesting. It was a very interesting project. It was it was very. I was very proud of be part of the project uh, from the get go, and then we brought something to the store that we and I end up like uh, dictating the branding and the color, because we brought one idea of color, like to create like the, the client that first told me that through a lot of uh, events to bring the brand to you know to the public eye, and I suggest okay we need to have beautiful white lighting because. We're gonna have shoes and collars and finishes and everything. People need to see you well. But at night, you turn one switch and you, you have like you feel like you want to see, you know, like the plastic bottle that's no longer there. And I, that was the first idea, and end up like uh, the Rothy's logo is that that deep blue that we chose to the color. We don't have color changing there; it's just that blue. And it was it, it is very successful. I think this project was awarded 2018 and is still there. And if you drive by at night. Oh, that's another thing interesting because we I did that blue light just for special events. And the client asked me to put the lighting as the nighttime scene. When they close doors, everything's blue inside. And uh, if you drive by on Fillmore, you're going to see that blue lighting coming from the store. I was going to ask you, you know, what was the most special thing about the store, but you led yourself straight to it. It was this amazing mission behind the company and taking design interpretation out of that to the extent that the client said, make sure the store looks like that every night. Make sure our brand glows even when we go home. Across five states in the country. Across five <laughs> states in the country. Claudio, thank you so much for Thanks sharing. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for sharing your insights. Thank you for sharing your passion for light. Thank you for guiding us on your journey of how you've found an ability to be a successful designer, work with people, and at the end of the day, understand what it takes to create those moments where not only your client is happy, but you might also get the opportunity to win an award because your peers recognize it as something that truly is unique, inspirational, and let's just face it, awesome. Thank you so much, man. If anybody wants to get in touch with you, continue this conversation or maybe just chat a little bit more about this what's the best way people can get in touch with you Mail me claudio at electrolight.com email them claudio at electrolight.com and Cloud if you want to see all projects electrolight.com electrolight.com is a great place to see all of your work to learn a little bit more about everybody that you've worked with your partners around the world and of course get in touch with you 
hang in there. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. See you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Light Pod. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and click that like, follow, or subscribe button. That's the best way to never miss another episode where we talk to people about all things lighting who have inspirational and thought-provoking conversations to share. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.